I'm one of the pastors here at Journey, and Jim is off today, as I mentioned earlier. Um, so I will be filling in. And he, Whenever Jim asks me to fill in, he's like, hey, would you uh, preach for me this coming Sunday? And I was like, yeah, sure, I'll do that. What's the topic? Like, what's it on? And he said, the series called The Hits Just Keep On Coming. And I thought it was like a classic rock series where we were going to take old songs and make them cool. But uh, this is not that serious. But we're talking about something completely different. This topic of when the hits just keep on coming. And I think Jim mentioned this kind of illustration of being at the beach, right? When the waves are just crashing over you one after another and they just keep on coming. And if you're not careful, it can kind of knock you over and then you're just tumbling. And that's the danger of the ocean, right? And uh, my family, we go to York Beach every summer for a couple nights and we just lounge on the beach and get super sunburned and have a blast out there. My brother-in-law brought a paddleboard with him last year and I was like, hey, I grew up skateboarding. I snowboarded for like my whole childhood. I've got super good balance. I'll be able to paddleboard. And I go out there and I could not even stand up on this thing. And the waves, like they weren't even big waves because I went out far enough and I would just, I'd get up and then I'd fall down and then I'd get up and then I'd fall down and I could not stand on this paddleboard because the waves, they just kept on coming. And maybe you feel like that in life sometimes. I know 2020 has been that way and kind of one of the things I wanted to avoid was to just bring everybody back to 2020 through this series. But we've been through some things over the past year and a half and we're going to go through seasons of life when it feels like the hits just continue to pummel us and go against us. And life is just out for blood sometimes. For me, it kind of started, um, and we all have seasons like this, I think. And if you haven't, you will. I, I, I think that you will. And for me, it was, it was uh, October 2011 was when my season started. And it began great. We were happily married. We still are happily married uh, for a f- number of years. I think we were married for five years at that point. Jude was a year and a half. Uh, Gretchen was pregnant with Lucy. She was like four months. We'd bought our first house. Uh, I had a stable job. Um, I was interviewing for a job that would just change my career uh, completely to where I'm at today. It was just a time of, of goodness for us. And uh, we were at a church we loved. We were, I was leading worship there every Sunday. It was just a great kind of time period. And as we began October, it was kind of like riding that wave. And then October 18th happened when my father-in-law, um, he went to Boston for a series of meetings because he had a liver disease and um, in hopes to get on a transplant list and just meetings with tons of friends went down with them. And then that night he ended up in the emergency room and then week after week of you know crazy visits down to Boston to see him, things just went south and he ended up passing away November 23rd, about an hour before Thanksgiving Day. And that's when it started. And it just pushed us into this season of, of just constant turmoil. And then a month or two after that, our church closed down. And they kind of went and consolidated to back to one campus. And it just broke us. And we were super bummed about that. And it just kind of continued. It just felt like these waves just kind of crashing against us. And then Lucy was born. And that was awesome. She was born the day after my father-in-law's birthday, which was kind of a cool nod him, you know, and, and so that was like the, the light in the midst of all this darkness. And then a month or two after that, I was uh, at a concert seeing one of my favorite bands with my best friend, and 
we had a blast, and then the next day he sends me a text message, and it said, hey, I feel like crap. I'm going to the ER to get some fluids, right? Like, you probably have never gotten a text like that in your life, but this kid, it was, that was kind of his life, and he sends me this text, and I didn't think much of it, right? I just kind of was like, oh, okay, good luck. I'll see you tomorrow, or whatever, and then that night, I wake up at two or three in the morning. His mom calls me, and she says, DJ's not going to make it through the night. If you want to come say goodbye, you got to come up now. And so I ran to the hospital and I held his hand and I said I loved him and said goodbye. And then he kind of rallied for a week or two and, and eventually he passed away too. So it's two super close, meaningful people in my life in a matter of six months. And then a week later, I officiated my first and only funeral I've ever done in front of all of our friends and his family. And it was probably the hardest thing that I've ever kind of had to endure in life in that season. I don't tell you that to try to say, like, I've had it worse than anybody else. I tell you that because I've been through this. I've experienced what this feels like. And I know that some of you might be feeling that same way. And you're wondering, will this get better? Will life get better. It has to get better. And I wonder, is it going to get better? And, and as I've kind of made my way through 2020, I realized that I think a lot of the things that I've kind of built my faith upon are things that weren't meant to kind of support me and hold me up and to give me, you know, the support that I need through 2020. And we're all prone to put our faith in things that weren't meant to hold us up. I've been blowing up uh, pool floats for the past week, I feel like, for the kids to enjoy. And I have this giant unicorn float that I'm pumping up, right, with a compressor. And it's huge. And I'm like, this is going to be, I can ride on this thing. It's that big. It's going to be awesome. And the weight limit was 144 pounds. I don't know if you know this, but I weigh more than 144 pounds. But I was like, this could easily support me, right? Like, I could go float around on this. I did. There's a picture on Facebook of it. Got a lot of likes, if you want to know. But, and so I'm riding on this thing, but the truth is it wasn't designed for me. It wasn't meant to support my weight category. And as I ride on that, as the sun kind of beats down on that raft, if the chlorine in the water kind of wears it out and the, the winter will come, and eventually if I'm the one riding on this thing, it's going to fail. It's not going to hold me up because it wasn't designed for me. It was made for those lighter than me. And if we're not careful, if we plant our faith in things that weren't meant to hold us, they're slowly going to be stripped away. And I think many of you, many of us, myself included, we found that out through 2020, that maybe your faith was built on being able to go to church every Sunday. And when that was ripped away, you were kind of left like, yikes, like what, what's my faith holding, how, how, what's holding me up during this? And we're all tempted to put our faith in things like that, our career, that you know, our life is supported by the job that we have, and we're excited about that, and we get kind of confident in that. And then when that gets ripped out from underneath us, you begin to wonder, what is there? What's supposed to get me through on to the next day? And I, there's this kind of lie that kind of goes around, and I think that we're all tempted to believe in this from time to time. I myself have believed this, and I catch myself believing this often because it sounds great, and it's this. It's, if God is good, and we would agree, right? God is good. I think we could all agree with that. If you're here this morning, hopefully that's what you believe. But if God is good, then things are bound to get better. And it sounds awesome. 
Like you, maybe you've even seen this church stop with some nice font and some flowers on Facebook, and it's just collecting thousands of likes because we want to believe that if God is good, then things have to get better. But the truth is, that doesn't always happen. It doesn't always get better. I'm sorry if that's depressing this morning. You came for some hope, but there's going to be some hope at the end of this. But the truth is, yes, God is good, but that doesn't mean that life will always get better. And this has some roots in what some of you might uh, be familiar with. It's called the prosperity gospel. And we're not going to preach that this morning. But this is a movement in, you know, largely in Western civilization where people believe that if I just believe hard enough, if I just have enough belief, I'm going to land on my feet. Or if I have enough faith that I'll be healed or my loved one will be healed. If I can just muster up enough faith, then the good things are going to happen. And the truth is, that's not how it works. There's a woman, I encourage you to look her up. Her name is Kate Bowler. She's an author, a podcaster. She does blogs. And she did her doctorate degree. She studied the prosperity gospel. She traveled for years interviewing um, pastors and people who follow this kind of movement. And she says this in in one of her uh, books. She said, there's a little prosperity gospel in all of us. And as she kind of was diving into this whole philosophy of if you have enough faith that you'll be healed and that if you, know, if you just believe enough, then God will give you the big house and that he'll bless you with finances. And when you're doing the right things, life will do amazing things for you. And so as she's kind of studying all this stuff and finding the root of it, she got the call that no one wants to get. She was diagnosed with stage four cancer. And so she's trying to wrestle with all this. And she wrote a book which I love the title. It's called Everything Happens for a Reason and Other Lies I've Loved. She chronicles her battle with stage four cancer as well as being a Christian and a believer. And she wrote this. She said, control is a drug. Control is a drug. And we're all hooked. Whether or not we believe in the prosperity gospel's assurance that we can master the future with our words and attitudes. We're going to go on to the next. I can barely admit to myself that I have almost no choice but to surrender. But neither can those around me. Because we want to believe that we have a little bit of control, don't we? Like we want that. We long for that. That's like the American dream, right? That you can control your own destiny. And we just thrive on that. And we want to be able to control the outcome. And even if that means having as much faith as we can muster to be able to make it through and heal or, or land on our feet or have that good thing happen. But the truth is, it doesn't always happen that way. We're not guaranteed tomorrow, are we? And as this past year has rolled on and as I went through that kind of six or seven month period where I just felt like the hits kept coming, I asked myself this, this question where I said, you know, if my faith, is it dependent on an everything is up and to the right kind of life? Is that what my life is kind of like, is that what my faith is dependent on? That everything is going to go well for me? That everything is going well? Is that where I build my faith on? And at the time, I think that's what it was, that I felt like everything was going well and God is good, so it's going to continue to go well. But the truth is, it doesn't always happen that way. 
Everything is easy. Faith is easy when it's going well, when your life is up and to the right. And if, I don't know if you, if you know what I mean by that is when you look at your finances, I'm going to do it from your point of view, your finances, if they're going up and to the right, like things are good. If your account's going down, that's not a good thing. And in life, if your career is going up and to the right, then you're, you're successful and things are trending in the right direction. And it's easy to have faith. To feel like your faith is strong when you're in that season of everything's going up and to the right, when it's going well the way that you want it. But it's when those things get stripped away that we begin to get a glimpse of what's inside. I think Jim mentioned a, like a tube of toothpaste. Like once you squeeze it, you'll see what comes out of it, right? And as you kind of go through life and as the suffering and the hardships of life come and they begin to squeeze you and your faith is tested you'll begin to see what is my faith built upon. And if it's built on fake promises or cool memes that you see on Facebook and sayings that just sound really awesome, I have a feeling that it's going to fail you. But if you build it on the promises of God, then we'll be able to pandemic-proof our life. We can't not pandemic-proof our life, sorry. I have a pandemic-proof faith because we can't pandemic-proof our lives. There was one of these before. There was one just recently. And chances are there will probably be another one in our kids' or grandkids' lifetime. And we can't really do much to stop that. Like Some people might think they can, but what we can do and what we can control, because we all love control, right, is can we create a faith in us that we can pandemic-proof our faith that no matter what comes down the road, we will be able to take it and to survive and to find the good through it. And so we're going to pick up kind of where Jim left off last week. We're going to find ourselves in the book of Acts. Um, if you were following along, it's in chapter 16. And we learn that Paul and Silas, they're kind of together and they're traveling around. And I'll catch you up if you weren't here last week. They're traveling around and they're telling people about Jesus. That's what they did. That's what Paul did. And that was his kind of life's mission at this point. And it says they were traveling from town to town. And there was this girl that was following them along. And she was super annoying, right? And so she kind of follows them into town, and they're going, and they would arrive at this town ready to proclaim the good news. And they probably had a, a presentation, I would think. Like, they might not have had fancy PowerPoint like we do today. But I bet Paul and Silas had, like, a routine that they would follow when they entered a new town. And this woman would just follow in, and she would just yell, These men are servants of the Most High God. They're here to tell you the way to be saved. It's kind of like, hey, Iron Man dies at the end. Just want you to know. Like she comes in and just totally ruins any kind of momentum that they might have or any surprise or any kind of grit to their presentation. And so Paul deals with it for a while. And then eventually he speaks to the spirit in her because she has this ability to, to tell the future, the, the word tells us. And I kind of skipped that part, but she does. And so she's a slave to these people who are making loads of money off of her ability to be able to do this. And so Paul speaks to that spirit in her, not to the girl. He speaks to the spirit and he says, come out of her. In the name of Jesus, come out of that woman. And the spirit leaves her. And maybe that's good for her. Like she might be free from that, but her owners could beg to differ. Like that's money out of their pocket. So they're mad. They take Paul and Silas. They throw them in jail. But before that, they're severely beaten and flogged and just put on display and just beaten to a pulp. And then they're put into this prison. In the innermost parts of this prison, they're chained up, their wrists and their ankles, and they're shackled to the ground, right? And they're in the middle of this prison. And Jim left us with this verse. 
It said, at about midnight, so it's very late, at about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and they were singing hymns to God. And it said the other prisoners were listening to them. They were listening to them. And we kind of focused in on that. And it's weird because I'm sure if you've ever been in prison, I haven't, but I've seen a lot of TV shows. I watched Prison Break for a couple years. And those cells are pretty close together. I'm assuming they were back then as well. And so some of them had no choice probably to listen to them singing, right? Like it was loud. Most people, when they sing, it's not super quiet. And so they were probably forced to listen to them at some point during this. But I think some people were listening and thinking, how are these guys bloody and beaten in jail singing praise to God? Like, what is wrong with those guys that they're just singing and they're praying? Like, this is probably the darkest days for some of these people. And they're leaning into that. They're kind of interested in what's going on. And I think a lot of us do that, right? We pay attention to those that are in their darkest nights. We pay close attention to the ones going through the darkest night because we kind of, we lean into that. I read a blog post in kind of researching this whole topic and the person was describing their season of pain like this. You might relate to this. It said, it feels like standing on one side of a glass wall, the rest of the world on the outside looking in and what compels us to stare at those behind the glass. Surely compassion but perhaps something more, relief maybe, an almost voyeuristic sense of relief that we are on the outside, that we can walk away when we're tired of looking or when the reality of what we're glimpsing becomes unbearable. We all do it. We glimpse in because everyone loves a train wreck, right? That's why some of the the biggest um, podcasts right now or true crime podcasts or you watch true crime documentaries. If you're like me, that's like all you watch these days. And because we want to see what happens. We want to know the details. We like to just zero in on the seemingly darkest days of people. And we want to find out more about it because we're far less impacted by the lives of people who are up and to the right. Like, we don't really care about a lot of celebrities that are on their private yacht during the pandemic while we're at home and we can't go anywhere and they're just like traveling the, the seven seas. You know, it's like we don't really focus on those people. But when they have problems, like not many people, I don't watch golf, but I know who Tiger Woods is because his life was a train wreck for a while there and we all watched him. Like I wasn't a Britney Spears fan, but when she shaved her head, everybody paid attention. Like, I don't care about Bill Gates, and I know he owns Microsoft, and that's about all I know. And not many people are looking him up. But when that word divorce comes up next to his name, suddenly the whole world's paying attention to him. I Googled his name this week, and I saw headlines like, epic divorce, epic marriage scandal, and all this stuff. And it's like, he was page eight before, and now he's page one because he's in a dark time in his life. We pay attention to what's going on. And I think people were paying attention to Paul and Silas, wondering what are they going through and how are they able to praise God and to sing through this? They were paying attention. And then something dramatic happens in the story. It continues on. It says, Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. The whole place started to shake. And if you've ever been in an earthquake, I'm sure that's pretty intense stuff. That's pretty crazy stuff. And the whole place was just shaking. And sometimes in life, 
when things don't go as planned and people get sick and jobs are lost and people die and things happen, it feels like the very ground beneath you shakes and it just destroys and it leaves you wondering, what can I hold on to? If the whole world is shaking, it makes you think I have nothing to hold on to. And I'm sure they were feeling this way. It says, the, the violent earthquake and the foundations of the prison were shaken. And at once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. And if you've grown up in the church, you've probably heard this story. And it's kind of glorified, isn't it? Like, you, the, you know, the place shakes and you see veggie tails, right? It shakes. And then all of a sudden, just like things fall off their wrists. And then the doors just fling open with like bright lights and all this amazing stuff happens. But if you've ever seen an earthquake, it's not clean. Like it doesn't happen and everyone's like, woo, great. The prison walls fell off and everything tumbled around them. There was probably a lot of devastation. The chains might have come loose because maybe a rock fell and it broke the chain or maybe it crushed somebody else. Or maybe those doors didn't just fly open. They're just kind of mangled enough for them to get out. But we kind of glorify this thought that, oh, it must have been this glorious, clean break. But that's not how earthquakes work, and that's not how life is sometimes. It seems perfect when we follow people, and, and that's all they show you is the perfect things. But life is tough. It's hard. And so all these things happen, and their, their chains kind of come loose. And it says the jailer wakes up. So he was doing his job well, right? He's sleeping on the job. And he wakes up when he saw that the prison doors open. And he panics. He's nervous, okay? It says he drew his sword and he was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. He had one job, right? Maybe two, stay awake. But also, you need to guard these prisoners. You don't want them getting out. Like, you just sit there. They're behind closed, you know, locked gates. You just have to make sure those don't open up. You have one job. And something came along completely out of his control. Circumstances came up. And the worst happened. He thinks that they've escaped. And so his first thought is, well, I'm done for. I better kill myself before those powers that be come and do it for me in probably a more terrible fashion. So he grabs his sword because he's worried that they're going to escape. And if we just pause the story there, if we kind of, if this is how it ended, we would probably think that was pretty cool. We would read that, not that he killed himself, but that if they escaped, we would say, praise God. He just saved Paul and Silas. Like, look at the freedom that they have now. Like, God made a way for them. That he allowed them to get free. They didn't get what they deserved. And that would be a great story to kind of, you know, think about and to kind of read. But that's not what happens in this. Because if we know much about Paul, and we've studied Paul a lot, I feel like we talk about him a lot here at Journey Church, is that his life is a series of steps where his life is a series of changes, where he experienced grace in ways that are just unimaginable to maybe some of us, in ways that his old life was in one direction, and then he turned from that and went in a complete other. And so we're going to check out 1 Timothy chapter 1, just for a glimpse of this real quick, about Paul and kind of what he has to say. He says, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength, he provided me strength and he considered me trustworthy. If you knew Paul before he was Paul, that would not be the word to describe him. But God loved him and he thanked, he thanks Jesus for considering him trustworthy, appointing him to his service because Paul is on the service of God. He's 
proclaiming the good news. He says, even though I once was a blasphemer, God considered me trustworthy. Even though once I was a persecutor, I tried to stop the very thing I'm now propelling forward. God considered me trustworthy. I was a violent man. I hurt people. I murdered people. I threw people in jail. But God considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. And even though I once was these things, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. And the grace, that's the word we're going to focus on today. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly. If you know what that word abundantly means, it's in excess. An abundance of grace was poured out upon me along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Paul knew what it was like to get what you didn't deserve. Paul knew what it was like to suffer for the things that he believed and the second chances that he got. So Paul did not just leave the prison. He didn't leave that prison guard to just kill himself. Paul was very familiar with grace and it set him up to be able to show that grace to the jailer. And so Paul shouts, he says, don't harm yourself. Wait, don't harm yourself. We're here. We didn't leave. We're here. And says the jailer, he called for lights, right? Flick on the lights, grab the torches probably. And they rushed in and he fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He fell trembling. It's like he was scared out of his mind at losing his life. And now he's gained it. He's probably filled with fear and thanksgiving and all of this stuff. And he trembles before them. And it says he brought them out of that cell. He brought them out and he said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Sirs, I highly doubt when he put them in that jail cell, he addressed them so kindly as, sirs, write this way, please. Right? He says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? There's something about you that I need in my life. There's something about the way you've handled this destruction. There's something about the way you handled being beaten and tortured and jailed and imprisoned that you're able to then save my life in this process. You're giving me something I don't deserve. What do I do to get that? How do I be saved? And he says the same thing that we've said to you or I would say to you. He says, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. That's all you have to do. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. And he says, you and your household. This is for all of you. This is for your whole household. It's not just limited to you because of you letting us go. It's just for your whole household. And it says that they believed, uh, he replied, believe, and it says they spoke the word of the Lord to him. And the whole house, everyone in this house listened to these words and they kind of proclaimed more of the good news of what Jesus had done for them. And then the jailer, he takes a step forward from this. He even brings them to his house. It's in the middle of the night, and I can imagine he's kind of like, you know when you're out with some friends and you had a good time and you get home and your, your spouse or someone's sleeping and you're kind of like, I had a blast tonight, and you just want to share all the things that you talked about and the good time that you had. And so he wakes up his whole house probably, and he starts telling them about Jesus and the good news. And says at that hour of the night, the jailer, he took them home and says he washed their wounds. He probably could have put some of those on them. He might have been the one in charge of inflicting those wounds. Maybe he inflicted them himself, but at least he was present for that going down. It says, and then immediately after, him and his whole household were baptized. They all 
believed because of Paul obeying God, receiving grace, and showing that to other people. And they were all baptized. You have a chance to be baptized August 1st here at Journey Church. We'd love to talk to you about it. And so immediately after that, it says the jailer brought them into his house. So they baptize him. He fixes them up. He brings them into his house, and he sets a meal before them, and together they all eat. And it says he was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household, because of the grace that one man in the midst of one of his darkest days was able to show this jailer and his whole family. Because when someone shows us grace, when we receive grace, the kind of grace that only God can show us, it leads to joy. Even in the midst of our suffering, it leads to joy. In all these seasons, in our darkest days, that there's little pockets of grace that God sends our way that can give us little pockets of joy through the season. So before, as we kind of begin to wind down and close, I wanted to share two things, specific things real quick that I have kind of learned in my life. Some things that I believe that we could kind of secure our faith to and anchor our faith to in the times of trouble. These are things that I know to be true. And the first thing is this, is that God is giving grace. He's giving grace. He's providing grace even when you're suffering. He's providing grace. And for some of you, it might look different. My season of suffering is not yours, and yours is not mine, and there's no comparing the two of them. But God gives us grace in the midst of that. And it might look like a, uh, a kind friend that you didn't expect that you had comes and they comfort you and they check in on you. Maybe that's what grace looks like for you. Maybe it's uh, it's a word or a song from, his, uh, from God's word. Maybe it's a scripture verse that you forgot you memorized, or maybe it's a new one that God reveals to you through a friend, and you're just able to hold on to that. Maybe his grace comes to you with the ability to kind of see things in a new perspective. When you have this tragedy and God somehow allows you to make some sense of it when there's no sense to be made. And then when someone looks in on that and they would say, I don't know how you're able to make it through that. I don't know how you're able to take a step forward. And you can say, because God has shared his grace with me and he's able, made it possible for me to see this in a different light. Maybe it comes in a new perspective. But this is why this is so, so powerful. This is, this is why I think that this is a huge statement and a huge truth, a promise that we can build our life upon. Because Paul, earlier or later, in the book of Corinthians, he, he talks about this, uh, a thorn in his flesh is what he calls it. And we don't really know what this is. Some people think it could be a limp. Some people think it could be a wound that didn't heal. Some people think it's like a lisp or something that made it difficult for him to speak in public. We're not really sure it could be a wound that just didn't heal right or, or something of that nature. But it, Paul describes it as a messenger from Satan sent to torment him. And this thing is just following him along. And, for th and three times it says, three times he pleads with the Lord to take it away from him. It, it, it plagues him day and night. And three times he asks God to take it away from him. And this is the Lord's reply. He says, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient, even in your weakness, because my power is made perfect in your weakness. 
In your darkest days, my grace is all that you need. Grace is all you need. The Beatles got it wrong. I hate to tell you. It's not love. It's grace. Grace is all that you need. Because no matter what form grace manifests, manifests itself in your life, God is pouring it on abundantly. It's more than you need. Even when the things are bad, even when seasons go further and further down, when life is trending down and to the left, and it gets worse and worse, we can stay true to know that God is giving us grace through this and that his grace is enough because he's been through this before. That's the power of Jesus's life in his scripture and that Jesus has been through this before. He's lost his best friend. He's lost those closest to him. He's been beaten before. He's been kicked out of his hometown. He's been spit on. He's been beaten so he wasn't hardly even recognizable by his mother. He's been deserted in his time of need. He's been mocked. He's, uh, he's had people attempt to murder him, and they did. He's been murdered. He's had all these things happen, but he conquered them. He conquered death, and he did all of that with all of us in mind so that he could say to us in our darkest days that I know what you're going through. I'm here through it all with you. Let me pour out my grace upon you abundantly. I have loved you at your highest highs when you got the promotion, and I love you at your lowest lows when those closest to you are stripped away. I've got you. You know the saying that, that people kind of talk about, and this is thrown around a lot, where it says, God will never give you more than you can handle. You heard that? You've probably read it before. People tell you that. Maybe if you're in the midst of suffering, someone says that to you. The truth is, that's one of the most misquoted scriptures, really, of the Bible. Because it's talking about temptation of sin. That God, that we'll never be tempted in a way that we can't overcome it, okay? That verse is not meant to say that you'll never go through so much suffering that you can't handle it. I believe that there's times in our life when our suffering is so deep and our hurt is so powerful that it's more than we were meant to handle. Sometimes there's suffering that's not meant for a 200-pound man. It's meant for a 144-pounder, right? There's suffering that is so immense that you and I cannot handle it on our own. And that's where grace comes in because God's grace is pouring upon you even in the midst of your suffering, in your lowest of lows, because then Jesus can show up and say, I've overcome the world I've got you. I've been through this. I love you. I can sustain you in your darkest days because I've been there and I'm with you. I'm giving you grace. He sustains us. Here's the second thing that I know to be true is that God is working even when we can't see what he's doing. That God is working. And if you're in a time of suffering, this is probably one of the worst things that you want to hear right now. I know when I was going through it, if someone said, you know, God's got a plan, he's working through that, I didn't care at that moment. This is a hard thing to be told, but you've got to write it down, tattoo it on your forehead, you know, carry it on your, write it on your mirror in your bathroom, do whatever you need to do to remember this truth that God is working even when you can't see what he's doing. He's at work. Because God wants to bring good out of bad situations. He doesn't cause our suffering. 
He's not the one that created our suffering, but he wants to bring good out of it. God didn't cause it, but he's in the background. He wants to bring good out of the bad because that's who he is. That's what he does. That's his line of business. He's in the fire with you. He's standing next to you. He's in the deepest waters, holding back the sea so you don't drown. He wants to turn graves into gardens. He wants to take your shame and make it for glory. He wants to you know, lift you up. He wants to make beauty from the ashes. If you feel surrounded today by hurt and suffering, know that you're surrounded by him and his grace. It's all that you need, and he's working. He's in the background trying to make good out of the bad. There's a story that I came across I want to share as we close. This is, this is it. I'm winding down. It's a story about a guy. His name's Thad Cockrell. We got a picture of him. Never heard of this man in my life, okay? Never heard of this. Um, but Thad is a musician. He sings for a band or did for a band called Leagues. I had never heard of him. Um, but this story, you might have heard of this. It was on the Today Show, I know, this past year, um, around April sometime, I think. But so Thad is a, a musician. He releases an album, the beginning of 2020, right? Perfect time to release a new album. And so he releases this music, and it goes flat, obviously, because he can't tour, he can't play live concerts or shows. And so it's just kind of white noise, really. It doesn't take off like previous things had. And he's having a difficult time. And so the end of 2020, he's reflecting, as many of us do, right? You get to the end of a year, you think, ugh. Like, I'm glad that's behind me. What's this new year going to bring for me? And so Thad thinks, I'm done with music. I think this is the end for me. I've dedicated my whole life to this. He's got some gray going on there. He's probably not, you know, he's figuring, I've put in the work. It's time to move on. And so he writes what later they, him and his manager kind of refer to as the manifesto. Okay, he writes this letter to his manager, an email probably, and he says all these things that he's been thinking and feeling. And he says, this coming year, I'm going to find a new career. I think I'm hanging up music. I'm done. I'm going to focus on my health and finding a new career. And so he sends this off on, uh, I think, January 3rd. He wrote this stuff down. He sent it to his manager. And then his manager calls him and he says, listen, I got your manifesto. He's like, we're going to put a pin in that for a minute. He says, before we do, we had a call that I think will change your point of view. He said, this, this man is walking in the hardware store and he's looking for a light switch to change a light switch at his house. Okay, and he hears your song, this song by Fad Cockrell called Swingin'. It's kind of catchy. It's got a good chorus to it. And he's walking in the aisle and he's looking up and he hears this song and the, the chorus of the song says, if I'm going to go down, I'm going to go down swinging. And it's got a really sweet hook to it. It's nice. And so, and that kind of just like sticks in his brain. It's been in my brain all week since I read this story. And so he loves this song and he grabs his cell phone out and he shazams the song. If you shazam songs still, that's awesome because that app is super old. I didn't even know that thing was still available. But this guy, he shazams the song and he finds out, oh, it's Thad Cockrell, person I've never heard of. And so this person is this guy here, it's Jimmy Fallon, not him, that guy. Doesn't he look so happy? He's just a happy guy. Anyways, so Jimmy Fallon's you know, fixing a light switch, and he hears this song, and he shazams it, which is awesome. And then he has Thad. He contacts his man and says, I need to have Thad on my show. And so as Thad was getting ready to just throw in the towel and completely quit his whole career that he worked his whole life for, Jimmy Fallon swoops in, 
and has him on his show. He plays the song. He plays with his favorite band, Roots, and they play this song. And the sales just kind of flood in on this album that he thought was just like a ghost, that it just didn't even matter. And I think Thad is much like the jailer, that he was going to throw in the towel. He was ready to quit. But it's not until he realized that maybe something's going on beyond my vision. Maybe there's something going on that I don't know about in the background. And if I just hold out a little bit longer, that God will make good out of the bad. Because God is working. And I'm not saying that God, you know, saved this guy's career. It could have been luck. I don't know. But God is writing our story. And that we don't know what's on the next page until we continue on. And so this manifesto could have stopped his career, but it didn't. And here's the takeaway from that. God is working even when you don't see it. And I know this is kind of sad and scary to think about. And sometimes there's situations where we won't get to read the ending. We don't know if there's a happy ending or we don't know what good comes out of every situation. But we just need to take heart and know that God is giving grace, even in our suffering, in abundance. And he's also working for our good in the background. And we may find that good. We might not. But we need to take heart and trust that we know that God is working. We need to firmly plant our feet upon that. And so we're going to come, and the, the worship band's going to come, and, and we're going to sing a song that, um, it's funny, when Chris told me they were going to sing it, I was like, could you do a different one? You know, and then as he said, no, probably not, and I was like, okay, that's fine. You're the singer. And so, um, but as he kind of, this week went on, I thought, how am I going to close this? You know, we've got this transition where they're going to be moving microphones behind me, and I could pray a really long prayer while they move stuff, but I just thought I would read the first lines to this song. Um, because they could not be more fitting. He says, or Cheryl will say, the, the author of the song says, when this life has overwhelmed me and I feel like giving up, and we've all been there, and if you haven't, you will. I think that's a promise, is that we're all going to go through times that are more than we can handle. When this life has overwhelmed me and I feel like giving up, I will cling not to what feels good, not to what I think sounds good, not to what I can control, but I will cling to what you've promised because it will always be enough. God, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the promises in Scripture, God, that we can ground our faith to, that we can trust and know that even when the, the harshest storms or the earthquakes of life can come and totally decimate our life, that you are giving grace, that you're working in the midst of that suffering, not causing it, but God, that you are there with us through it all. We thank you for that. Pray that you help us to remember these truths, God, to firmly plant a firm foundation, God, to get us through. We thank you that you are madly in love with each and every one of us, God. In your name we pray. Amen.